Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. The weather actually was terrible this morning. Yeah, cold it was as hell. Actually, it was sunny, but it was not enjoyable. Cold as hell. That. Cold as absolute hell. Uh, I'm excited for today's podcast. I think we have a lot on the catch and early buzz. One thing I'd like to get ahead of before anything. Okay. The Detroit Lions going on hard knocks and Adam Schefter sending out get ready to bite some kneecaps or whatever that tweet was. That tweet, I know this is probably going to be on the Save Your Likes. I know that. But it has to be said early doors that I think of any tweet that's ever been sent. We've, that was most tags I've ever gotten in a tweet. Easily the most tags we've ever gotten. So we appreciate all of the yes. master gators that are big on the Save Your Likes. That is the peak of it. That is the peak of the Save Your Likes type of content. That is the peak. Hard Knocks is going to bite a kneecap off. 8,200 of you, I'm blaming you, have liked that tweet. It's unacceptable. We are going to continue to see tweets like this if we continue to support this behavior. And it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. That joke is dead. When did we declare it dead officially? I think it was like last April. It was honestly like it's a om- week after we said a, it. It's over a year old, that joke right now. And he wasn't the only one who was sending it out. There were a yeah. handful of others like, oh, by oh, yeah, we have, we have, we have. I'm excited we'll to get, get to, we'll the, get to the, the, fun to read, the fun to read stuff when we get there. But going now to the other thing that we have to talk about. Oh, my God, the Will Smith stuff. That was insane. Mm. That was insane. Twitter legitimately erupted, erupted when Will Smith smacked the hell out of Chris Rock. And I think the peak of it all, the peak of it all for me was, and why I think it's one of the top Twitter moments of all time, is just the range of reactions to this. There was people who were immediately making jokes, immediately making memes of it. There was the Prince of Bel-Air, like, I got one little fight, my mom got scared. This is it. Like, great stuff. Great content around the Will Smith stuff. Then there was like, did you see the Judd Apatow tweet before he deleted it? The one that said he may have he could have died. died. Yeah. That, it, it went full swing to the other side of Judd Apatow, I think, is a, is a director. One of my favorite directors. He writes, he creates a lot of good movies. Mm-hmm. He says he could have died. That, in my opinion, is why it's a peak Twitter moment. Like, non-peak Twitter moments are, like, where everyone has the same reaction, the same opinion. Mm-hmm. To have that wide scale of, like, that's hilarious that Will Smith just smacked Chris Rock on live TV to, I hope Will Smith gets arrested and that and Chris Rock could have died is is incredible. And... The crazy thing was Chris Rock played it off so well so for, well. for a little bit to where people were debating whether it was fake or not, whether it yes. was an actual slap or not. And it was, in fact, a real slap. A very, I mean, what an all-time like fake tough guy move from Will Smith to go up on stage at an award ceremony after you laughed himself. The video shows him I laughing know, at I the know. joke to come up and then slap. <laughs> not even like punch. Not even give like a, a two-handed shove to slap. I've never, I've never seen anything like that before. I've, never, I've literally never seen anything like that before. He makes a joke about his wife, who has alopecia, which forces her, like not forces, but like results in the fact that she can't have like a full head of hair. And he makes the GI Jane joke, which there are arguments that it's tame. It is tame. It's a joke. All jokes though are fucking tame. Like, can I can I say something about the alopecia thing? People were acting as if alopecia is cancer, as if like she's going in a hospital ward for this. It's a thing that a lot of people have. A lot of like pro athletes have yeah. had throughout the years, and it's like yes, it's unfortunate. Yes. You're like having hair. Uh, it's about something uh, I, that is like expected yes. of, especially a female, but like men go bald all the time. It's I'm going bald right now. Look at this going bald right there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's not a tragedy to be, to have alopecia. It's not like something that you can't make fun of. That's off limits to do. I, I, I would say, you know, what's, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would get in this conversation, but being like, 
being like five foot six also sucks. But if you're short, you're going to get your ass yeah. ruined on by a comedian. Yeah. Like it's just going to happen. Now, I, I don't want to get into the whole thing of that. Will Smith reacts how he reacts, slaps the shit out of Chris Rock. Chris Rock owns it, wears it, and it honestly is the best. Like the best Oscars, Oscars moment we've probably seen in a long time. And some people, he was saying, I don't know if I'm going to get invited back to the Academy and his speech and all this stuff. It's like, dude, you're not going to just get invited back. You might be co-hosting it with Chris Rock next year if that means they're going to get more views on this damn show. Because like no one was watching the, I mean, I'm not going to speak to the numbers, but like I doubt a lot of people were watching it until Will Smith, Will Smith smacks Chris Rock. That was sensational content. And then he screams at him from his seat saying, don't keep your name out of my mouth. It was peak content. I do think that there were a handful of really good jokes out there. Uh, we have a vote now on if you're watching live on YouTube, who's down worse, Chris Rock or Will Smith? The other like range, Will Smith's way down worse. No, yeah, I don't range... see how Chris Rock comes out of that looking bad at all. He looks good. Yeah, so, no, no, he doesn't come out of that looking bad at all. Anyone who's upset at Chris Rock for making a joke as a comedian, where your entire role is to make the show more funny, yeah. I don't know how anyone's upset with Chris Rock outside of Will Smith. Will Smith's yeah. obviously upset with Chris Rock. But the other thing that was okay, so then Twitter in itself, as it continues to be phenomenal, brings up that Jada Smith is apparently like sleeps around with other guys and stuff. Like no, I didn't even you know. Didn't, you didn't know. That I don't part. know that story, but Twitter obviously did because there were some jokes on that too that was fucked up. Yeah, so that was like a whole thing like a couple of years ago. Was she? They had like an open relationship in their marriage that they like talked about. Oh, as this whole really? Thing. And about how she had a relationship with this guy. I can't August. I can't remember his last name. Okay, but that that, that was like a whole thing a couple of years ago. And so, for him to go on the tirade for, like I said, a joke about alopecia, which. <laughs> there were some tame. really good tweets. He could have gone though. way deeper. I know, I know, some, I know. There were some really good tweets on Jada Smith specifically about Will Smith's reaction to Chris Rock making a joke about Will Smith versus other things. The yeah. content was just peak, absolute peak. I'm going to get off the Will Smith stuff now. Bringing up, I got the chain. I got the chain. It came in. I don't know how I feel about it. I think the more I wear it, the more it's like not like heinous when i first put it on like i look like a fool like a legitimate fool i don't think i've completely avoided that yet i don't know what to do with this though i think it needs to be improved it's one i don't think you're wearing the right clothes for okay it right fair now. fair you're wearing like dress casual mm -hmm. and you don't wear a chain with dress casual what do you that. wear a like, chain with with like pure casual clothes oh, okay. like okay like a t-shirt gotcha you know not I'm like learning. You had uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of your wardrobe offhand. Like you have like a Lakers shirt. Or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Wear yeah. with that. Uh, okay, would look better than like a like a dressed up crew neck. Well, I'm changing right the game. It's, it's got one a little like at a time. it's got. You almost look like a like a sub like a borough of New York. You would fit in in a certain one. I'm trying to think of like West Village. Is that I'm trying like there's the hipstery. It's like it's a it's like a past hipster vibe that yes off right yes like, it's 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 hipster, what's oh, next ironic you're calling me yeah. a, a you know a future fashionista is what you're saying you're saying I'm, I'm setting exactly the tone I, i'm moving forward i'm i'm moving fashion forward is it's what a look saying. that cincinnati's not ready for i'll just say that's fair that cincinnati's not ready for a lot of things i bring to the table the other thing i have i said i was gonna bring it up i got the chain i'm working on rings i i don't know if i'm gonna get rings i, I don't know if i'm gonna do it i honestly don't know i if would I'm recommend bracelet the, the more i looked so i was looking at myself in the mirror the more I looked at like the chain and like the bigger issue and Sovchek, who is on the sticks for Quinn today, Quinn is out on PTO, Sovchek, Tyler Sovchek is a producer today. The more I look at it, I was like, I don't need a chain. I don't need rings. I don't need anything. I need to lose some goddamn weight. <laughs> I was looking at, I was looking at the, pre Tyler has this to pull up on YouTube. I was looking at my image of myself when I was 
doing the draft show last year, I looked so much thinner than I do now. Oh, wow. Like, like my face is – you can see if you're watching live on YouTube, like I look so much thinner. I need to drop some LBs. I think it was like 165 pounds then. Like 165, close to 160. Now I'm like pushing 195. <laughs> like I've easily added like 30 the, uh, to 40 pounds beyond that. The so, weight loss thing fell by the wayside. It did. We'll it really say. did. So we I'm going to get back on that. I'm adding chains. I'm adding rings. I'm going to drop some weight. That's just all has to happen. Last thing I have, I got the tattoo, which you can't really see. It's way better than my other tattoo. Uh, it is. I it's way better than my other that. tattoo. That it's an outline of a bear, which brings up an interesting point that I wanted to get ahead of. So... Um, we donate to St. Jude's. I donate to St. Jude's because uh, the, the for the swearing thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I also, like, every single piece of merch that we sell, I donate, I think, $3 to St. Jude's for tailgate. The reason I highlight St. Jude's is because my brother actually died of brain cancer three years ago, which fucking sucks. We don't have to, we don't have to like, hammer that home. But my brother died three years ago of brain cancer, so we donate to St. Jude's. It's a big reason for that. But his nickname was Bear, so that's the tattoo I got. So anytime we're donating to St. Jude's, I swear three times already on this podcast, that's 60 bucks to St. Jude's because cancer stinks. And Cancer stinks a lot worse for kids, man. I'm telling you, it's it's not it's not a pretty thing. So that is the tattoo. That is the chain. I'm gonna drop some weight. We saw that. We need to drop some weight. Last thing on the catching away buzz: DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, and Tyler Lockett are all like involved in these like random trade rumors that are popping up. Apparently, Seattle looking to get on the move. Apparently, the Jets interested in trading for a receiver, potentially adding, let's say, Lockett or Metcalf or Brown. A.J. Brown sent out kind of a cryptic tweet saying it's all in God's hands now or something along those lines. I was talking to some of the reporters here at PFF, and they're buying into this idea that the Jets are looking actively looking for a receiver, and Seattle is kind of selling right now as they focus on not necessarily a rebuild, but definitely a retooling of their roster. Are you buying any of those rumors? And I guess what's your opinion of say, the Jets going after a DK Metcalf or A.J. Brown, Tyler Lockett. Lockett's the one here that actually makes sense to me to be moved. The other two, you want DK Metcalf to be on, like, a championship team. You've got a number one type of wide receiver. Like, yeah, you could get a lot in return for him, but, like, that's kind of what you're hoping for when you get picks in return is a guy that's going to be like DK Metcalf. So Tyler Lockett at 29 years old seems to me like the guy who won't be there when – things to come good again when this roster is ready to compete again because you know when you get rid of a franchise quarterback when you have the roster you do you're two or three years away at minimum so to me when you know Tyler Lockett's going to be 32 33 by the time you're ready to compete again probably not going to be on your roster so that's the guy that makes the most sense in all these and same ditto for what I just said about DK Metcalf with AJ Brown in Tennessee like that guy's a good player you don't want to let him out the door yeah. for even if it is going to return you a big haul you're a good team at least in Tennessee's case. So Lockett's the one that makes sense, and it makes sense because you look at just who's available right now Mm -hmm. in the wide receiver class. We talked about that there were a lot of people uh, towards the beginning of the sort of offseason that were going to be available in this wide receiver class. But at this point, it's pretty much cash. you got a torn ACL, Odell Beckham. you got an Antonio Brown, who no one wants to touch. You have Jarvis Landry ask for $20 million when he's a slot receiver. Which is not going to happen. And you have <laughs> Will Fuller, who literally can't stay on the football field. That's your wide receivers that you can go sign right now mm-hmm. if you want to go sign someone to improve your roster. There's nothing left. It's kind of been cashed at this point. So I can see them having value. Like, yes, the first round of this draft class to mid-second round is going to have a lot of talent. But once you get to the third, pretty much any – receiving class, there's probably not going to be that guy sitting there. And I think the only reason we saw someone like Terry McLaurin sitting there a couple years ago or a few years ago was because 
everyone that was still when people thought don't draft receivers in the first round there's been so many classes where they didn't hit 2019 was kind of an odd receiver class in that regard it swung back the pendulum to where I think if you're giving up a third rounder for a guy like Tyler Lockett you're not going to do much better in the actual draft it's almost damn near unlikely you're going to do too much better in the actual draft so I think that's when it starts to make sense and I think you could see some of these guys move I I am 100% backing that and I think we've seen that in just how much receivers have made you know the Tyreek Hill trade literally doesn't happen unless Devontae Adams is traded and given the money he did like there's literally been discussed and reported that Tyreek Hill's like wait he's making all this money I want more money Chiefs can't afford him they end up moving him to Miami like that receiver value I think has never been higher right you have receivers who are making more than quarterbacks in the NFL I think a lot of that is because and everyone has talked about I think Benjamin Solak of the Ringer had a piece come out today about how price for really elite safeties in the NFL is increasing and they're recognizing the value improved for that position. I think if anything, if any position we've seen show where the value is like increasing is receiver. receiver as well. Receiver is skyrocketing in terms of how teams are prioritizing that position, chasing eliteness at that position. If Christian Kirk is making $18 million per these guys like Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, all these guys at the top that are actually true wide receiver ones, guys that should command targets in the NFL, they're going to be asking for a lot of money. And especially as you know, more teams realize that having eliteness at those positions and having multiple like true alpha receivers moves this offense forward and makes you Super Bowl competitive, I think you're going to see receivers making a lot of money. And we talk about copycat league. Look at the last two Super Bowls. You had Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham on one side, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. Tyler Boyd on the other, year prior, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown on one side, and Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey on the other. Like, if you don't have weapons that look like the, the weapons that we've seen in the Super Bowl of late, your chances are pretty low of making it there. Yeah. Like, if, if you're throwing out a receiving core that looks like the Falcons, that looks like, shit, even the Jaguars right now, what are your chances of running through the offensive gamut that is the AFC right now? You know, like, it's not going to happen because points can get put up on the board when you have receiving cores that look like that. Points are struggle to get put up on the board when you have receiving cores that don't look like that. All righty. Off the catch and early buzz. What a load of catch and early buzz. Appreciate everyone, appreciate everyone supporting the podcast and our St. Jude's efforts. I encourage you to, you know, to donate to St. Jude's as I continue to swear through this podcast. And support the chain movement, okay? I'm losing weight. We're getting the chain movement. I don't know. I, I didn't know I, you'd be breaking the chain out. I would have worn my chain, too. Dude, get your chain, get your chain on here. We'll be the chain one. gang. We'll be the chain gang. I will say I look stupid with the chain on. I hope I eventually it starts to look a little bit better. I think a lot of that has to do with the dressing up of it's the, the, the beard and, yeah. and, and maybe some better clothes. But we're going to get there one step at a time. I want to also discuss my mock draft. That a mock draft come out today, just a first-round mock draft, really reacting to free agency and a lot of the trades that have happened on what I would do if I was the principal decision-maker for all 32 NFL teams. Before I do, Manscaped, who is now with us through the end of the summer, Mike, buying into the Tailgate Podcast, Summer's presenting sponsor. Most. Well, yeah. Well, they're in through the end of the summer, Mike. Manscaped. Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist, and I'll trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. I recommend using their products in this order. Hop in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Lather your hair up with a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to keep your what? Noggin' toggin'. Lovely. Dry off spray. Dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. 
Put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop the Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. Getting dressed after is optional. Wear one great scent all day long. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle to Manscaped. The power of attraction is also around my neck. So how how, how do you mm. like them apples? All right, on to my mock draft here. Wrote this yesterday. Feel really good about the direction I'm taking all 32 NFL teams. Starting at the top. Jacksonville Jaguars take Aiden Hutchinson. It's obvious. In my opinion, I agree that he's the betting favorite. I think he's minus 280 to be the number one overall pick. Though odds have moved since the MJD mock draft. Odds have moved. Trayvon Walker is now like plus 400 to be the number one overall pick. Plus 300, I think. Like they were, he is dude, moving Mock draft influencers, dude. I'm telling you, that's the new frontier. Have I had that take on the podcast? What's the I take? Be, I just want to be known as a mock draft influencer. You are a mock draft influencer. Yeah, like I want it to be. Like but you're my, not a forecaster, though. I want it to be like my title, mock draft influencer. You're not. I'm not. We're not changing your title to that. That's absurd. But I have Aiden Hutchinson go number one overall. I do think that's ultimately what happens. If I was forecasting, I think Aiden Hutchinson is their pick with the first selection. I also think it's the best selection for that defense. I don't know if you disagree. I think you're on that same boat. But then, as a mock draft influencer, I gather with other mock draft influencers, and we sway the market by holding off on who we think actually is going to go number mm. one overall until betting odds come out bet it and then we say okay yeah, this guy's actually going on you can also well. like push you guys were stupid for believing anyone else would this guy's the best guy but this- Aiden Hutchinson that's what this year should have been Aiden Hutchinson is obviously the best guy the Trayvon Walker stuff right pushes his odds from minus 400 to be the number one overall pick to minus 280 you can capitalize on that change in value you know I think that's yeah. what MJD is doing minus 280 that's still a bigger favorite than any divisional favorite right now in the NFL that's right? Tra- it's crazy it's crazy so it it's is pretty big fit. glaring favorite that Aiden Hutchinson the Michigan defensive end is the number one overall pick come April all also, come April, Hutch podcast series here at PFF. I've interviewed over 50 people now, including Aiden Hutchinson and his entire family, to discuss his story. You're doing a podcast about Aiden Hutchinson? I, this is news to me. It's news to you, You right? haven't talked about it on every podcast since then, have Don't you? Don't be a hater on the Hutch <laughs> podcast. How dare you? Number two overall, and I'm going to get aggressive here. Yeah. I don't understand... I don't understand the Kayvon Thibodeau narrative anymore. I honestly am buying into that Kayvon Thibodeau is being dragged down by media via smoke from teams that want to pick him. Like, I honestly do. I honestly think Daniel Jeremiah has Kayvon Thibodeau as his 10th overall player now. He's not even, he's borderline fringe, not even a top 10 player. And this is a guy that's a consensus number one overall pick and has not done anything. He was the number one overall player on Daniel Jeremiah's board when it ended, when like the season ended. Now he's the number 10 overall player due to a combination was he? of. Uh, number one on season. He was number one or number two. He was, he was a consensus top two player at the end of the season. Well, top 51 point. I, I don't think he was. I don't think DJ was ever high on him. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe not. I will. I, I mean, consensus number one player doesn't. Does it mean he had? Yeah, he didn't even have him. He had him sixth in his initial draft board. So really, yeah. So he was never high on him. I thought he had him higher. Never mind. But anyway, he's falling significantly and yeah. without ever without playing it down, and it's insane. Um, I, I, I think that um, a lot of the media narrative. I've never had the opportunity to talk to Kayvon Thibodeau. I would like mm-hmm. to. I did see his podium session. I have watched a lot of his interviews. I think a lot of the like arrogance is honestly just like overwhelming self-confidence in himself and i also think a lot of like just the things being billed as distractions for Kayvon Thibodeau or just him trying to maximize the value of his brand right like that i think is intimidating to traditional nfl thinkers like he released an nft 
He has his own Discord channel. He has his own cryptocurrency. He's maximized. I mean, a lot of his content is already sponsored and all this stuff. Like, he's maximizing the value of his brand right now, as he should, and is very confident in himself being this next player. Like, there's a part where he compares himself. He says, I think I can be, you know, as good as Jadavion Clowney. And someone's like, you can't compare yourself to J.J. Clown. He's a one-of-one. It's like, what are we talking about here, dude? If Aiden Hutchinson said, I think I can be J.J. Watt in the NFL, everyone would be like, yeah, I love it. I see that. Like, I don't understand why people are, people are on this dude's ass. And it's been, like, kind of stunning. It, it is, although it's almost a red flag that he brings up Javon Clowney because Clowney Isn't that like, good? notoriously <laughs> didn't live up to the hype. Yeah. You know, like, he's notoriously – he's good. Good yeah. NFL player, sure. But he was not – what they were, he was billed as coming out of South Carolina. That's billed as coming out of high school, yeah. billed as all of that. Like, he never came to become that guy. Like, he was supposed to be J.J. Watt, and obviously was not close to J.J. Watt. I do think, though, I, I will bet good money that he does not go number two overall to the Detroit Lions. I think they like their edge group. I think yeah. they want to get Julian Aquara more snaps. He played well down the stretch. He had a 76.8 pass rush grade year two. And they have two somewhat highly priced-ish free agents on that roster to where I... I I think they're going to look elsewhere. And I, I, and I don't think that's completely false. I, I think I put him number two overall more as the opportunity to kind of speak to. I, I just don't, I don't understand. Don't buy the fall. I don't understand the fall. I don't understand the fall. I, I think he should be in consideration for number one overall. I think he should be in consideration for all the top five selections. I'd be floored if he gets past the Jets at four. Like, I, I, I think there are, when you consider like the other players that will be available, I think the offensive tackles definitely are there of high value. But Kayvon Thibodeau, like, there's now conversation that he'll go behind Trayvon Walker. Like, he's yeah. not even the second best edge in this group. I think he has, of any player in recent history, from my opinion, gone from consensus top three player mm-hmm. across the board. Everyone sees him a consensus top three player. Nothing happens in season that changes that. Then every minute after the season has ended, where we were seeing no more tape of Kayvon Thibodeau had the biggest fall. And he hasn't even tested poorly. Mm-hmm. Like he ran the 40-yard dash and was more impressive than, K- than Aiden Hutchinson in that. He put up one fewer rep than Aiden Hutchinson in the bench. And yeah, he hasn't done the other testing. And people are like, why did he bail out of the testing? All that shit. Digging into like his decision-making away from football. I-, I-, I just think it's a little bit too much. I think it's too much. Anyway, number three overall. Houston Texans. I think they're in a very luxurious spot to throw positional value out the window and just take the best player available, as long as it's not a kicker or a punter. Like, literally, like, it doesn't matter. Pick any player that's the highest on your board at your spot, regardless of position, as long as it's not a kicker or a punter, and you're going to be in a better position. Because you are going to be vying the number one overall pick next year. You don't have the quarterback of the future, but I don't think your roster is in a position where you want to bet on, say, Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett in this class. I have them going Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. And I think it's my favorite slot for him mm-hmm. in the top 10. I think there's other picks where like, I think at 10 of the Jets starts to make sense. I think Washington at 11. I think there's you know, all these other teams where if he does slip outside the top 10, it becomes like immediately a sprint the card in situation. But if he is going to go inside the top five, top 10, I really do like the fit with Houston. And I'll just say this. So to the positional value argument, we're going to talk here a little bit about an article that Timo Risque wrote on pff.com that talks about positional value in the draft and where can you find surplus value purely from a cap perspective like how much can you when you draft a guy how much are you saving over what that guy would earn on a second contract and for as much as safeties have you know been devalued and don't get drafted highly in the draft they have more on average surplus value in the first round than linebackers guards corners tight ends centers and running backs so they're if you're talking about a positional value argument, drafting a guy like that third overall can return you more on average or like just 
and sort of historically has returned more. The safety position has returned more than all those other ones that I just named that corners. You wouldn't bat an eye about mm-hmm. drafting a corner third overall. Linebacker, maybe you will bat an eye, but tight ends, one just went fourth overall last year. Like, I, I do think with what he brings to the table, Kyle Hamilton's well worth pick that high. There you go. I like, I like that pick a lot for Houston. Number four, and I think <clears throat> I'm buying into this one a ton too. Ikki Aquano, the NC State off of the tackle. If he does not go three, which I think according to DraftKings Sportsbook, he's like minus 120 to go inside the top three. I think they see him being uh, you know, either the number one overall pick, I know there's been rumors there, or the number three overall pick to the Houston Texans. But if I think he gets to four and Kayvon Thibodeau isn't available, Ikki Aquanu, NC State off of the tackle, going to the New York Jets at four overall, immediately can start ahead of George Fant and his injury insurance to Mekhi Becton. See, I just like Evan Neal because he's huge. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I want two huge tackles. Ikki Aquanu is not small. I know he's not as big as obviously Evan Neal. Evan Neal's like six foot yeah. seven, three thirty. But Ikki Aquanu is a. I like him playing he's, right he's, tackle for the Jets opposite of yeah. Mikai Becton. Oh, yeah, that's. I, I know. I'm not. I'm not debating like prospect, whatever. I'm just saying Evan Neal would be cool because it'd be size. That's what I'm doing for mock drafts cool. now. How cool would this be? All right, number five overall. I think I'll say this right now. This is a slam dunk home run of a draft for the New York mm-hmm. Giants. I have them at five taking between the legs windmill. Three sixty between the legs windmill. Good. I have the New York. Giants taking Evan Neal at five yeah, and then Trayvon Walker at seven. I think that is exactly the type of draft they want to have, whether it's Evan Neal, uh, one of the offensive tackles, Iki Aquanu, Charles Cross, Evan Neal at five, and then one of the edges, whether that's Kayvon Thibodeau or Trayvon Walker there at seven. I think yeah. getting better in the trenches with those two picks, that is, in my opinion, the dream scenario for the New York Giants. And at six... It's just hard for the Giants to screw this up, honestly. Very difficult. Now, I think it's if they tack low-value positions. I think go get tackle, go get edge. Yeah. You don't have to get cute with it. Go get tackle, go get edge. I think yeah, like them- people had them early in the process going like Devin Lloyd. That would be like last place. I, I even saw that. a lot of Giants fans in the mock draft simulator on PFF, which if you go to right now, you can trade players now. You can yeah. trade players in the mock draft simulator, pff.com slash mock. Go trade Jimmy G. They, I, I see them going like Evan Neal and then Tyler Linderbaum. And I like Linderbaum, and you like Linderbaum. But I don't think going center at seven is their move. I think they should go edge, especially if Trayvon Walker or Kayvon Thibodeau is there. At six, I have the Carolina Panthers getting Malik Willis. Do I like this for Malik Willis? No. Do I even, like, do I, but I, I can understand why head coach Matt Rule and general manager Scott Fitterer would want to hang their hat on Malik Willis at six overall over trading down or going a non-quarterback because there's no way that seat is not warm for those. And they don't have any other top 100 picks. It's the number six pick, and that's it. Mm-hmm. What they do with this slot will determine, I think, the fate of what they do. If they don't go quarterback, then it's Sam Darnold, their quarterback, and they're vying for the number one overall pick. If they do go quarterback, I think it could buy them time. If Malik Willis looks good... They're in a much better spot to like maintain power in Carolina. Is it the best situation they could be in? No, but they dug, kind of dug their own grave into you have to swing a bat here at six, and I think it's going to have to be the best quarterback available in this spot. I have Malik Willis, but I think they could go Kenny Pickett. They could go Sam Howell. They could go Matt Corral. Whoever they want to go, I think at six, I think ultimately is a quarterback, though, because they can't afford to watch Sam Darnold go a 17-game season next year because I don't think they'll be managing the Carolina Panthers in 2023 if that's the case. I go back and forth on this because, I mean, if a rookie's not going to, I mean, we just saw with the Chicago Bears, a rookie's not going to save your job if you're a head coach on the hot seat. So to me, I'm thinking, if I am Matt Rule, I'm thinking I, I, 
this guy better come in. If I am draft quarterback, he better be better than Darnold day one. And I, and for how much they like Darnold and trade for him, and yeah, he stunk last year, whatever. I I don't foresee them thinking any of these quarterbacks. If anyone, I still I still say Kenny Pickett would be the guy that Carolina drafts if they are drafting a quarterback. Really? But I, I still just think they're going to go all in for this year to try to save their jobs. I mean, they went all in for last year. <laughs> you know, they traded traded for Stefan Gilmore. What was it a third they gave up? True, for, true. A cornerback midseason for half a season. Yeah. So we shall see. What would you do? What would you do? You're, you're manage, you know the situation. Matt Rule, you know your seat is hot. You're Scott Fitterer. You're like, hey, we got to make the play. What, what are you doing at six? Are you going quarterback? Or are you going somewhere else? You train down? What's I'm looking play? to trade down, and I'm looking to go O-line, Yeah, honestly. Fair enough. All right, number seven, I already said I had the Tra- Trayvon Walker going to the Giants uh, at eight. This one's tough. The Atlanta Falcons, they are well on their way to having the worst receiving core in the NFL next year. Mm-hmm. So if they pass on receiver here, I think it kind of solidifies that. But I find myself leaning – Ahmad Gardner over your favorite receiver in this class. I think I'm more yeah. confident in Ahmad Gardner as a prospect than I am any of the receivers in this class, especially coming in and playing in that Atlanta defense, opposite of A.J. Terrell. I think they would be prioritizing value over need if they drafted Ahmad Gardner at eight rather than going, say, Drake London or Garrett Wilson at eight. I think Ahmad Gardner would be my selection if I was on the clock for Atlanta, even though I do think they go receiver. I do think that they ultimately go receiver at eight. I, I agree that if they draft, honestly, any receiver in this, compare, because just what will be on the board for them at eight, more than likely the top cornerback, they can have their pick between Gardner or Stingley. And even if not, like I'd still take Stingley over any of the receivers in this class. Just because if they if they do go wide receiver, in my opinion, it will just be a pure need play, which would worry me as for their decision making going forward. When you have a team making need based draft decisions, when you're as bad as the Falcons are going to be, that's how you stay bad, honestly. Yeah. The next pick I have here, I think this is one of my favorite fits. The Seattle Seahawks taking Charles Cross at nine. Yeah. I, I am a huge fan of that decision. They're starting off the tackles <clears throat> excuse me, in 2021 with Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell. Both are still free agents. Mm-hmm. Both aren't, obviously, even like long-term solutions at that, either position. Getting Charles Cross at nine, especially if Malik Willis is already off the board, I think is a huge win for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, a lot of you know, the push from, I think, Mel Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah to mock draft influencers are that Charles Cross is going to fall a bit farther than that and not be a top 10 selection, ultimately be in consideration in that 16 to 20 range for teams drafting in those slots. But I think Charles Cross is much better than that. And I think him at nine would be a dream scenario for the Seattle Seahawks. He's the top five player on PFS draft board and the offensive tackle one. One of my favorite fits in this mock, your reaction. I just think they'd want penning more. I don't know why. Maybe it's the old, I'm still holdover from the Tom Cable era. You think they go penning? The you think they go penning over cross at nine? Yeah. Damn it. I just well, I wouldn't. Would. Remember, this is not what I'm forecasting. This is what I would do. Yeah. I'm going Charles Cross at number nine. New York Jets. I, I, I love this. I think this is what they ultimately could do if he's available here at 10. I think Atlanta will look at Drake London pretty closely at number eight overall. But if Drake London is there at 10, even if they trade for DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett, I think you go get another receiver too uh, in Drake London there at number 10 overall. At 11, Garrett Wilson. Of Ohio State, I think they need some receiving talent. Terry McLaurin's still there. I still believe in Deami Brown, but you need upgrades. I think you need more, especially if you're going to make this Carson Wentz thing work. If Carson Wentz is going to work in Washington, you can't have an okay receiving core. Mm-hmm. You need a top-end one, and I think that's Terry McLaurin, Garrett Wilson, Deami Brown, and then you even still have Cam Sims and Curtis Samuel to like round out that receiving core. I think that's a much better situation for Carson Wentz than saying going in with what they have right now in McLaurin, Sims, Brown, and Curtis Samuel. 
Minnesota, Derek Stingley Jr. to the Minnesota Vikings. We've consistently mocked Trent McDuffie here. Mm-hmm. Your reaction to Stingley falling that far, I know you're really high on him. He's your CB1, a top three player on the draft board. But Minnesota grabbing Derek Stingley at 12. I'd contend that they probably have, that they may even have McDuffie higher in that scheme. But TBD, obviously. Um, I'm not, I don't think Derek Stingley's too scheme pigeonholed. Like he's not, he doesn't have to go to press man like he played a lot of at LSU. So, yeah, I'd take, I'd take Stingley there. All righty then. I'm, I'm, I th- you haven't disagreed vehemently with any of the picks I've had. How about Jordan Davis, the Houston Texans at 13? Two low-value positions when you look at average salary spent at safety and defensive tackle. But I think you're getting two of the best players in this draft, and Kyle Hamilton and Jordan Davis. Um, I'm a huge fan of that selection. It's another team. Where, like I think that 13, I think his prop right now is set at 13 and a half. <laughs> I, think, I think that's where he starts to come off the board. I think 13 is where either the Houston Texans take him or the Baltimore Ravens take him at 14. I think the Eagles would take him at 15 if he's still there. I do think his run, the run on Jordan Davis, or however you want to phrase it, where Jordan Davis starts to become palpable or more enticing, yeah. I think is at that 13 spot. Yeah, people have him going top 10 in this draft. I don't see who would pull the trigger there. Like you said, I think it starts to make sense in the 12 to... 15 range is where I think he comes off the board. Next on my list here, the Baltimore Ravens. I've liked this fit from the jump. George Karloftis of Purdue going to the Baltimore Ravens. I think I've mocked that one pretty consistently. Also a very young player. Only 20 years old. Turns 21 on April 3rd this year. I, I I highlighted age in every one of these picks in my mock draft. Found out Jermaine Johnson, an older player, Devontae White of Georgia, I think he's going to play his rookie season at 24 years old. Trevor Penning, I think, is very old as well. Um, There is The ages are all in there if you go to mock draft uh, on pff.com. 15 and 16. Eagles go Jermaine Johnson, Florida State edge. I talked to Mike Norvell today, this morning, the head coach at Florida State. You know, sung his praises, obviously. Spoke to him on and off the field. That's going to be an interview that comes out this week on tailgate. And at 16, I had them going to Devontae Wyatt, who does turn 24 on March 31st. He's one of the oldest players being mocked in the first round right now. But they get Jermaine Johnson, Devontae Wyatt, and then at 19, get Devin Lloyd. Tell me that's not an ideal draft for the Philadelphia Eagles going all in on defense. Yeah, I, I do think that that's where they ultimately 2-D line, maybe 1-0 line. I could see them going. I still don't know if they're going to pull the trigger on a linebacker. They still really don't covet that. I think maybe second, third round is where they could. But D-line... If one of the DTs makes it to them, I think you can bank on that being the pick. The George DTs, that is. Gotcha. 17 is my favorite. One of my favorite mocks is Jamison Williams, the Alabama receiver, going to Los Angeles Chargers. Even with Mike Williams coming back on the contract, he's on Keenan Allen, and they want to continue to develop the former third rounder out of Tennessee, Joshua Palmer. I think Jamison Williams just adds an element to that offense they just don't have right now. Yeah, we know. We know. You love this pick. What's your take on this pick? I, I like the pick, too. I, I do. I'm a fan. I, I mean, I especially after they feasible. added so much on defense, right? Yeah. J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, all added in free agency. I think there's they, they open up the opportunity to really go in on offense and go grab Jameson Williams. Yeah. 18, I've mocked this a thousand times. Desmond Ritter, the quarterback of Cincinnati, going to the New Orleans Saints. I think it's obvious that Jameis Winston is not the future at that position and I think they could start their search for that new quarterback with Desmond Ritter there at 18 19 I've already mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles going Devin Lloyd and then at 20 I think ultimately the Pittsburgh Steelers would lean Kenny Pickett over Sam Howell at 20 I have them going Sam Howell Sam Howell's higher on my board I went back and watched um, a lot of Sam Howell over the weekend and I'm buying into the tools I'm buying into the athletic ability like I don't think this is going to sound absurd but like 
I don't think Sam Howell and Malik Willis are that far off in terms of what you're coveting at the position. Sam Howell was yeah. not nearly as accurate as I thought he was going to be going into the tape, and he's not. He's very similar in, to Malik Willis in that regard, and that his deep actually isn't fantastic. He has really good arm talent, though. Tier 1 arm talent. Malik Willis is better, but he still has a Howard serve an arm, and he's really athletic and essentially the same size. Six foot, 220. Mm-hmm. That's what Malik Willis is. Broke most missed tackles of any you know Power 5 quarterback this past year in a very quarterback run-heavy version of that North Carolina offense. It's RPO heavy. It's very gimmicky. It's going to have to play a different offense in the NFL. But, I mean, you could say the same things about Malik Willis. I, I, I don't think Malik Willis and Sam Howell are that far off as prospects, at least in, at least in how they're being billed right now. I don't think like, in terms of you're buying into the same kinds of things. An athletic quarterback with a big arm with accuracy concerns. That's Malik, Malik Willis is essentially the same thing, but I think a heightened version of the arm, and, and I think you're buying into better athleticism as well. Yeah, I, I, I still do think Howell's kind of the forgotten man in this class. And now, obviously— He's the quarterback one of the PFF four, but we're not really high in any of them. But I just, I, I think the age is the biggest thing. Just the fact that he's been doing it at a younger age and was in a situation that just was not conducive. Uh, just a lot of the games you go back to the tape and you're like, what could he have done there? And, and you could say the same thing from Malik Willis, but a lot of his bad or negative plays are just, no one was going to look good in some of the games that he was playing in because of that offense and because of, he just didn't have options. Mm-hmm. Love Tyler Sobchak stepping in for Mike Quinn, hammering the polls live on YouTube. Appreciate everyone listening live on YouTube. Going to 21. I have the New England Patriots going Chris Olave. I don't think they go receiver here. Mm-hmm. I think in the draft, they avoid receiver. They've spent a lot at pass catcher, obviously adding Hunter Henry, John Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. Still have Jacoby Myers. I like them going pass catcher because they still think even after all the money they spent, they don't have a lot of elite weapons. I don't think Chris Olave fits the size threshold that Belichick likely wants at the receiver position, especially in the first round. I think it's more likely that he goes Burks here if he's going to go receiver. But I like Olave a lot to the Patriots. If they don't go Olave, they could go corner. I had McDuffie and Andrew Booth going shortly after. I think there's other areas that they could go. Green Bay, I got your guy Trent McDuffie falling to 22. Trent McDuffie? I love Trent McDuffie. Don't you, get me wrong. You don't I think Trent McDuffie it. the Green Bay Packers is I would. I mean, I would love it. I just don't think it's going to happen. They're now they just drafted one in the first round last year. They just signed Roswell Douglas. I just don't know if he sees the field. I mean, I think he would see the field because I think he'd be the number two, the second best corner there. But I, uh, I just think they'll lean elsewhere. I, I think they'll actually lean wide receiver should they not get one in a trade before the draft. Yeah, I have I have them going receiver with their second first round pick. But I had McDuffie falling, and some of that is because I don't think he's going to be everyone's cup of tea, right? He also didn't test completely at the combine. I want to see more of his testing as he moves forward. Smaller cornerback with short arms. Not everyone's going to covet that you know, in the top 15. And if he does start to fall, Green Bay is the exact type of team that would bring in a Trent McDuffie as it did with Jair Alexander. They're not the same size, and Jair Alexander cleared the 30-inch arm length threshold. But I think McDuffie at 22, I think it would be a situation, even if they don't see an obvious path to the field early, could be a situation where the player is just too good to pass up at 22. Arizona. I have them going Andrew Booth Jr. of Clemson. That's back-to-back cornerbacks. I I think that's... A good, there's a good chance that's where they go. I don't love the secondary that they had. I think they just signed former first-rounder Jeff Gladney at a TCU. That's not preventing you at all yeah. from adding a cornerback like Andrew Booth of, of Clemson. Then what do you think of this? Bernard Ryman, your guy at Central Michigan, going to the Dallas Cowboys at 24. I'm a huge fan of that for Ryman and his development. I'm also a huge fan of that for Dallas. I like it. I, I Left guard obviously qualifies a need there for them. I think you can play left guard and be your left tackle of the future. So, I, I, 
if I were them, like coveting between him and Zion Johnson, who's probably a guard only at the NFL level, I, I would definitely go Ryman. What are your reactions to people with age concerns around Ryman? Going to turn 25 a, this year. He'll be 25-year-old rookie. Case. Um, the last guy to do that turned out pretty good in Garrett Bowles. So I, I do think that it's a case-by-case basis. It's not like he came to Central Michigan after four years of high school ball and mm-hmm. then redshirted for two years and then played four years because of the COVID or whatever. It's a unique case of why he's 24 mm-hmm. that we've talked about a lot because he you know, grew up in Austria and served in the Austrian Army after high school. So um, I- I'm not too worried about it. Buffalo Bills, I have them going Zion Johnson. If the Bills don't take Zion Johnson at 25, I'm locking in that the Titans do at 26. I think one of those two teams is going to be wholesale invested in adding Zion Johnson, the Boston College, into your offensive lineman. Uh, Tennessee Titans, I have them going Tyler Linderbaum, center out of Iowa. I think that's a good fit for what they want to do offensively. And it's it's a good um, you know, cost value, right? Mm-hmm. I think getting Tyler Linderbaum at 26, even though he is – Regardless of positional value, probably a top 10 talent in this class. I think Linderbaum at 26, the value starts to make sense yeah. knowing the position he plays. 27. Bucks fans hate this pick, by the way. I sent out this mock draft. Bucks fans want me dead in the street. <laughs> but I've seen them getting mocked running back at the back end of the first round. What are we doing here? Go get some more high value. Even though they have Joe Tryon, Choyinka, and they have Shaq Barrett, I think adding Boye Mafe, another developmental edge there at the back end of the first round, you're capitalizing on value, and you still have this rotation of top-end talent. And Jason Pierre-Paul's not walking through that door. I think they're going to let him walk in free agency. He's still a free agent now. Boye Mafe, Joe Tryon, Choyinka, and Shaq Barrett is this like trio of edge defenders that you're developing. I'm a huge fan of that, over, especially over the comparisons to them adding Brees Hall of Iowa State or, or another low-value position. I tend to agree. It's, I get why you lean towards the running back or guard because it's the most obvious hole or obvious place where you can have a guy see the field maybe get an upgrade. But Joe Tryon and played over 600 snaps including the playoffs last year. Like He was an actual impact on that roster, even with JPP and Shaq Barrett. So take JPP out of the equation. Joe Tryon obviously takes JPP snaps, but then that's still 600 snaps that a guy like Boye Moffitt could get, or that yeah. your rotational defensive lineman who's going to come in on third downs or come in spell on rundowns is going to get. So 600 snaps is like about as much as running backs play as well. So I, I, I do think that this is a position that has a role on this team, if you do draft a guy like Boye Mafe. So it's not completely drafting for the future if you do address that. A couple more picks here to highlight on my latest mock draft. I would love, though, I'll PFF. just say, com. sorry for the Bucks. Travis Jones there. Next oh, to really? Travis Jones at 3-Tech, which he actually played more of at UConn than he did at Nose. Next to uh, Vita Vea would be a filthy interior run defenders. That would be a lot of beef. That would be filthy. That would be a lot of beef. We'll see. I think Travis Jones could sneak into the first round. There are a handful of teams that could fit him uh, at at the back end here. Green Bay Packers. I have them going George Pickens, the Georgia wide receiver, over Traylon Burks, who is available and goes to the Kansas City Chiefs at the next pick. Over Sky Moore. I am a big fan of Pickens, I like Pickens Pickens a lot. Six foot three, one ninety five. 
and there's more suddenness in his routes when you compare him to a guy like Traylon Burks. I think he created separation. I, I think I, I liked the route tree he ran and how he created separation in the limited snaps we saw, right? I think over 60% of his receptions came his true freshman year. It's a similar situation to Derek Stingley in that his true freshman year, you're like, holy shit, this guy's insane. But he's only caught 90 passes in his entire college career. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you're banking a lot of projection with George Pickens, but the limited opportunities we've seen, I've been really high on. And he's a very young player. Just turned 21 years old this month. Going to enter, he's going to play his entire rookie season at 21 years old. I'm buying into what he could be over maybe some of the other receivers that have been consistently mocked at the back end of the first round, like Jahan Dotson, Traylon Burks. And I really like that fit, too, for what Green Bay Packers look for at receiver. And that's the thing I was going to bring up, is that if you're mocking Jahan Dotson to the Packers, if you're mocking Chris Olave, I guess, would be like borderline, but I don't even think they'd be high on someone like Garrett Wilson if he fell to them at 22. They draft 195-plus pound wide receivers. That's since... And now they don't draft actually a lot of wide receivers, but that's been the type there throughout this, you know, the GM regime handed down from all the way back to Ron Wolf. A couple more picks here on the first round. I have the Kansas City Chiefs going Traylon Burks, Arkansas receiver with their 29th overall pick, and at 30 grabbing Kyrie Elam. Kyrie Elam is someone I'm going to consistently mock to the Chiefs at the back end of the first round, especially with Charvarius Ward, their, their starter at outside cornerback, signing with San Francisco this offseason. I think they need help at corner. I think Kyrie Elam is a win there. I think it's, he fits what they want to do. He's also another very young player, turns 21 in May of this year. As for Traylon Burks, I'm lower on Burks than I think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people see him as like a number one, the number one or number two receiver in this class. But I, I still buy into what he can do and what he offers mm-hmm. as a receiver. Six foot two, two twenty five, a full like loaded two twenty five with good explosiveness for that size. It's not DK Metcalf levels. It's not the levels that were billed as going into the combine. Still explosive for that size. Can win after the catch. Can break tackles. That's that's a receiver I think I can buy into at the back end of the first round to to um, for the Kansas City Chiefs to start to fill that void that uh, Tyreek Hill left. Yeah, I, I do think that that might be where they lean towards the bigger type of wide receivers in the class, and they're not going to go, you know, they're not going to go back to the Mecole Hardman well, where remember it was Tyreek Hill was up in the air of whether he was even going to play that year because of his son's broken arm thing that was all going around, and so. They drafted Michael Hardman, and everyone's like, oh, that's like their Tyreek replacement. I don't think after training Tyreek, they're just going to go back and say, oh, we need a Tyreek replacement. But they have coveted speed. Andy Reid has coveted speed in the receivers he has drafted over the years. So I don't know if that's Traylon Burks after that 40 time, even if like he does seem fast on the football field, does play fast. Last two picks here, Cincinnati Bengals. I sent this out feeling really confident, and people mm-hmm. hate it. Yeah. Arnold Ebiketti, Penn State, edge defender going to the Bengals. Not offensive line. We have an edge. We, we have good pass rushers. No, you don't. No, you don't. Sam Hebert has never earned a pass rushing grade above 65.0 in his career. They ranked 25th in pass rush you know, pressure rate last year. They're not getting after the passer. Trey Hendrickson had a lot of sacks, but that defense is not even top 20 in creating pressure on the quarterback. I think they can get a lot better there. Now, Sam Hubbard's a really good run defender. He's a you know, culture guy. A lot of people like him in that locker room. But I think you can upgrade in terms of who can come in and actually get after the passer for them. I think the rotation of Hendrickson Hubbard and Arnold Ebiketti, especially early doors, him coming in on passing downs, is a huge win. I, I like Arnold Ebiketti, the Cincinnati Bengals. I like Edge, too. If Boye Mafe is available, I think they could go that direction. I think going after a pass rusher, specifically a guy that gets after the quarterback, it would be a huge win for Cincinnati at 31. Then I had the Detroit Lions taking N'Kobe Dean, where I don't know where to mock N'Kobe Dean. I think you misspoke about Trey Hendrickson's grade, by the way. You said he's never earned a grade above. Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard, okay. 
Has he earned a pass rushing grade above 65 points? No, career? but he doesn't come off the field is why they're probably upset about this because they just keep him on the field for, like, rundowns. Which is run not purposes. great. I mean, that's the way they set up that defense, though. So if you do draft a guy like Arnold McKetty, I could see why they'd be mad because he's just not going to see a lot of snaps. You wouldn't rather have Arnold Abiketti coming in on de- on, as pa- on passing downs, though? I mean, possibly, but like that just sometimes defenses, that's how they run it up. So they don't want to sub on passing downs. They just keep the same personnel. So that's what it seemed like the Bengals were last year. And that resulted in the 25th ranked pressure rate in 2021. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying that's what they do. <laughs> I'm saying I, I'm just saying I don't know why they don't aim to improve there. That's not great. Yeah. That's not great. You need to get after the quarterback, and they're not doing a good job of that. So I added Arnold McKetty. 32, Detroit Lions, Nicobe Dean. I don't know where to mock Nicobe Dean. Yeah. I, I don't think every defense is going to want him. 5'11", 229. I think there's certain defenses that don't want to play a linebacker at that size. But there are defenses that will cover him that want to you know send him at the quarterback and all that stuff. I think Detroit is one of those, even though they mm-hmm. did sign – the failed first rounder, Jared. Their own failed first rounder, Jared name? Davis. Jared Davis. I think Nicobe Dean's obviously an upgrade over Davis, and I think he does yeah. what they want to do at linebacker. I agree. I, I do think that would be a nice fit for him. I think I highlighted that uh, last week in the mailbag episode. That, And that's the problem with just the size that he brings to the table. It's not a lot of teams are going to say, oh, I want – give me that 5'11", 229 pounds. That guy was a safety until you know a decade ago. That guy wasn't even touching an off-ball linebacker. So it's a unique fit that some coaches still don't don't even want in their Ds. Last, that's it for the that's mock it. draft. That is it for the mock draft. Glaring takeaways. Any, any glaring takeaways? Hmm. I didn't see Sky Moore anywhere. I didn't have Sky Moore in the it's first a glaring round. Glaring takeaway. So I did highlight, I didn't have David Ajabo. That one's going to, he's falling out. He's falling out. I didn't have Trevor Penning, which is wrong. He's going to be in the first round. Trevor I, Penning, not, yeah. I didn't see a slot in for him in the first round. And I didn't have Kenny Pickett, who's going to be in the first round. But yeah. I did not I did not have him going. I'd rather have Sam Howell over Kenny Pickett. So that is what ultimately. Oof, if the Steelers get on the clock, I didn't say that one. And they draft Sam Howell with Kenny Pickett on the board, you will hear. They will hear it. But I would, I would agree with it, honestly. Next up, you wanted to discuss Timo Risque, who is a – data scientist here at PFF. He wrote an article on PFF.com discussing surplus value. Or didn't, uh, yeah, surplus value um, of the each position in the draft. Give, give me your takes here. So it was more of this graphic that mm-hmm. I thought if there's any one graphic to study for the draft and what you should do from a decision-making standpoint, it is this one, mm-hmm. and this was based off of – so if you, you want to go read the article, it's on pff.com. It does take a PFF subscription to read, but the gist of it is breaking down actual contracts from 2006 to 2018, I believe. Maybe it was 17, whatever. Whatever has been four years now. 2018 is 2018. And then what those guys' picks in each of those rounds got on their second contracts. So how much value you can generate – Via your draft slot, at each for each posi- for what position you're wanting to take, based off of what you expect a hit in that range. So a hit at wide receiver in the first round will generate more money over expected from a cap perspective, from how much you'd actually be saving from having to pay that receiver a second contract. It generates eight point nine million, whereas a tight end four point six million, a running back three point nine million. Whereas, like, these other positions, you're just not getting the cap savings in return. And so there is a tipping point for each position where it's like, 
okay, we have a second-round grade on this edge. Don't just draft him in the first round because you need to draft the valuable positions. There is, you still have to have that trade-off. But I would just highly recommend going and taking a look at the article and specifically the tweet highlighted that basically says when and where to draft. Like, draft quarterbacks in the first or second round. Don't draft quarterbacks on day three. You're not getting your surplus value in return. There's not a lot of hits there. Mm -hmm. Draft wide receivers. Draft defensive line and tackles early. The value for tackle on day two really plummets. It's one of the least valuable positions in rounds like three and four. There's just not a lot of hits in that range. Whereas, conversely, guards, centers into day two and day three, you can get some surplus value. And centers, actually, on day three are one of the best value picks to make. Halfbacks are pretty much not valuable across the board in terms of how much money they can recruit on the second contracts. And the most interesting takeaway to me, though, from this was that cornerbacks in the first round had the fourth lowest hit surplus value of any position. And a lot of that comes back to cornerbacks just being difficult to evaluate. These guys, a lot of the teams that are taking them in the first round are whiffing. It, is, it has one of the lowest hits rate, hit rates of any position. So while it's a valuable position, it's difficult to find them, which might mean go out and sign them is, is what that might mean to me. Go out and sign guys in free agency as opposed to taking shots on these guys in the first round because of how difficult the position has been to evaluate. I think, I think cornerback's the position that you know, for a while, everyone's like, oh, has wide receiver become impossible to evaluate with spread? I think it was the flip side. I think it was cornerback that became damn near impossible to evaluate with spread because they're just not doing the same shit they'll be doing at the NFL level. Yeah, I think that was my bigger takeaway, too. Like, cornerback is easily the most valuable, like, on-field position in terms of, like, impacting wins. That's in the bottom five yeah. of this group in terms of getting surplus value, drafting in the first round, second round, third round. It definitely – and look how, like, across the board, like – the surplus value you're saving on the first round is 5.5 million for cornerbacks on average, and then in the fourth it's 3.4. Like that difference is insane. Like <laughs> whereas you compare that to receiver, it's 8.9 versus 4.3, which is almost halfway down. So yeah. I do think that it does speak to just the difficulty of the position and, and how to evaluate it. I think outside of that, it's it's more evidence toward you know some of the uh, some of the, a lot of the same conversations we have up yeah. here when we consistently talk about positional value and and going getting edge receiver tackle at the top. You know, obviously quarterback in the in the early rounds because you're saving so much more on those second contracts. And this is a great piece by Timo. Really cool to see. Go to PFF.com, subscribe using promo code FREEDNC30 to save 30% off a PFF subscription and read that article from Timo. Shall we get to the fun to read segment? Oh, yes. There were a lot of good ones, a lot of good fun to reads. And I think there could be almost one of these could be turned into a segment by itself. Um, starting with your first one here, this is from Mark Slaughter. This is a video, Luke Fickle, Mike Vrabel who have coached together in the past. Um, Luke called for reinforcements with Zach Taylor at their pro day. And then I can't, we don't, I don't think we have this video ready to prep and play. Oh, we don't. Okay. never mind. Well, it, well there was a good joke by Fickle. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about Cincinnati's pro day mm -hmm. in general. Cause we went, we were there. I thought Ritter looked a little shaky with his accuracy. Showed off his arm. Our arm looked very strong. Like in terms of zip, he can put on it. It looks stronger in person than on tape. And I think some of that's just, the way he throws, honestly, after one of his throws, um, like a deep ball, one of the players was behind us, and he's like, he never did that for us. <laughs> he, never threw that he never threw that far downfield for us. Really? Yes. And so, like, Ritter does not – I don't think he, like, opens it up during games. But in the pro day setting, uh, I thought you saw a noticeable 
noticeably better zip. But the weird thing was also he he is athletic. I'm not sure he's an athlete. I'm not sure like this guy played other sports growing up. Like when he's on the move, he had about three times when he was throwing on the move that he didn't throw spirals. Like he, you know how Patrick Mahomes just has that arm talent from playing baseball, just throw, playing throwing sports. Like growing up, I guess baseball is probably the only throwing sport, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he moves and throws how like a shortstop would throw from different arm angles, different platforms. Ritter, when he was on the move, it just looked uncomfortable. Like it, did, it didn't look right. Like he looks much better from a base, from the pocket than anything outside of that, which was, again, very evident on the pro day when he's just like waving on a few throws on the move. So uh, I thought an up and down pro day from him, but. The one, the, the, unfortunately, we don't have the video, but it's Luke Fickle talking about Mike Vrabel. And if you've ever, like, been around Mike Vrabel at all, he just comes off as the, like, hardo to end all hardos. Like, he, there was a story from him at the Combine about just grabbing, how it's like a free-for-all grabbing players uh, to interview. He just grabs a player away from another, uh, like, a, a guy in another team who's, not a coach at all, just like a, a, mm-hmm. a scouting assistant, grabs a player away from him. And it's just, you can't say shit to Mike Frabel because Mike Frabel's like the the class bully or whatever. And Jeez. Luke Fickle talking about it was pretty good. Damn, we'll have to get that video on a future episode. We did not prep Tyler Sobchak, the sub, Sorry, in for that. Dan Orlovsky did have a phenomenal tweet, though. That was fun to read. I think we got tagged in this one just as much as we got tagged in the Adam Schefter tweet of the kneecaps because this is sensational content. Dan Orlovsky, who I think, the more I... The more I've, like, not covered Dan Orlovsky, but the more I've, like, inter- like seen Dan Orlovsky's social presence and seen, like, what he does on TV, mm-hmm. I honestly think he's a, he's a content masterclass. Like, he gets it. He sends out some, like, outlandish, like, garbage food takes, and people are just, like, engaging no, with him to hell. Yeah. And then you have here, he tweets out, I don't think people understand how good the top three receivers are. Drake London is Keyshawn Johnson, who was the number one overall pick a few years ago. Do you 10 plus years ago? 96. Yeah. Huh? 96. And they said the two Ohio State guys, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, are Julio Jones and a fast Keenan Allen. They're ridiculous. This is not okay. It's not okay. Drake London's good. I think even comparing him to Keyshawn Johnson is a bit absurd. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are good, but compare Garrett Wilson to Julio Jones <laughs> when the size differential is like legitimately night and day. Julio Jones so, was six foot three, two twenty. Yeah. Garrett Wilson is six foot one eighty three. And the athletic testing is nowhere near what Garrett I mean it, it's there is not a lot that Garrett Wilson has ever done or will ever do that would be rec- you know like even comparable to Julio Jones. So their size comparison in terms of the difference in their heights and weights is almost identical to the difference between AJ Dillon and Kenneth Walker's size and weights. It's like saying Ken- Kenneth Walker reminds me of AJ Dillon, which is the most absurd statement anyone would say as a running back, but that's the size difference you're working with between Julio Jones and Garrett Wilson. And Julio Jones, for reference, ran, ran a 4-4-2, 38.5-inch vertical, 11-3 broad jump, 6-6-6-3 cone, which is utterly insane for a guy 6'3", 220. He was about as freaking athlete at the receiver position as you'll see. Garrett Wilson, a heck of an athlete, but he is 6'183". He is undersized. Legit, like opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of types of wide receivers. So that one was absurd. And then fast Keenan Allen. It's like, dude, Keenan Allen six two two zero six. Chris Olave six foot one eighty seven. Twenty pounds again. You're not a different different human being at twenty pounds and two inches. That's just comps, man. 
I think we need to have a segment on the show as I think in April every year. Yeah, where it's just ridiculous player just comps. The comps because I, I think we don't really see a lot of player comparisons until after until, the combine, yeah. and I think into April there could be an opportunity for a legitimate segment on the show where you just highlight. I, I think you take one player and you look at all the people that have compared. Like all all the different comps because I think that sometimes can be great too. You can see, especially for quarterbacks, quarterbacks will get comps like sixty different guys. You'll see like sixty different player comparisons for quarterbacks. And I also love with Traylon Burks. If you like Traylon Burks, he's Josh Gordon. If you don't like Traylon Burks, he's JJ Arthega Whiteside. Like it, like it just depends on you know your interest level and all that stuff. So I think we have to do a player comparisons show or not show, but segment as we continue to march forward towards April. Save your likes. The king of savior likes. We already mentioned it at the top of the show. I'm going to hammer it home again. Adam Schefter, Hard Knocks is going to bite a kneecap off. That is principle savior likes. It's what the segment was made for. It's what the segment was made for. And I will say this. I had this tweet over the weekend. There is a show on Netflix called Is It Cake? Where the entire show is run by like one of the most heinous um, hosts I've ever seen. It, it, it's like the worst person on the planet they found to host this fucking show. I don't. That's, a, that's one for St. Jude's. That, in my opinion, is a start. Two, this was like a small internet fad for like a couple months where like people were taking pictures of things and like, is it cake? And now it's become an entire show. Like seasons of the show of is it cake where they ask bakers to make something and at the end they ask if it's cake. The reason that exists is for the same people that like that tweet. About the the knee biting stuff. That's a great take. It's a, it's the yeah. same reason. Like the reason Netflix. They can you see think the Netflix. Same, they can see the people that can see the same joke twenty times. And exactly. Still laugh exactly. The if you're gonna watch eight or ten episodes of that show, it's the same thing, and you're like, this is great. This is the content is lit. Can't believe it was cake again. <laughs> it's cake. Oh my god, is it cake? It is. That the reason that show exists because Netflix not out here making non data driven decisions. They're following the data. They they heard this pitch and they're like, you know what? We could get enough morons to like this show to get it to get the budget okay. for it. You don't have to be morons. It can be a lot. It can be kids too. I think children, children, children. Will probably enjoy that. Anyway, so there is a cake show on Netflix. I have a personal vendetta against it. I hate the host. I don't know what his name is. Every joke he tells is terrible and cringy. Now. I don't even think the contestants like it, but they're like forced to like laugh at it because it's reality TV. You've been a part of reality TV. You like they like force you to laugh at the host joke. It's so bad. It is so bad that someone someone needs to be arrested for letting it air on TV. That's oh, wait, how bad. I do hate this guy, Mikey Day. That's his name. I've seen him in something else. What was he, he is. He was he in like Wild and Out. What? Yes, that's where he's from. I don't I know if anyone, everyone knows what Wild and Out is. But it was so like it was bad, an man. old MTV show. It yeah. might still go on. Nick Cannon hosted it. But anyway, go watch. I'm asking every Mastigator, go watch the show for 10 minutes, including you, Mike, and just tell me you don't yeah. want to drive an ice All pick right, through I your will. goddamn head. It is one of the worst shows I've ever seen. But the reason it exists is for the same reason Adam Schefter's tweet about Hard Knocks is going to bite a kneecap off has 8,600 likes. My favorite part about it was it wasn't – he quote tweeted it first, the graphic of the Detroit Lions being on Hard Knocks first. With Detroit Lions getting me on Hard Knocks. Mm-hmm. And then he's like... Double down. Then an unsolicited second tweet on the topic was this. He had to get the joke off. It was... You've been waiting on it for too long. Brutal. Save your legs. How many times do you think kneecaps has been tweeted out today? hundred? I tried to search for it and then ended up finding Ukrainian war videos and I ended up... Have to go away from that. <laughs> okay. Twitter it search. A little dark. Twitter, Twitter search sends you anything yeah. and everything. You the can fun, drop- to, fun to watch. You know, to get a lot of K-pop and odd porn stuff coming up. So kneecaps. I shouldn't be surprised. 
what a phenomenal show. Mockraft, Chain, Fun to Read, Kneecaps, fantastic, fantastic stuff. Later this week, I want to go quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. I want to go quarterbacks. And we we'll go to the next one. Yeah, QB by QB, strengths, weaknesses, best fit, how he wins, how he loses, all that stuff. Maybe even open up the draft guide, show that on YouTube, all that stuff. And I also want to get Coach Mike Norvell on the podcast. I recorded that interview today. But be on the lookout for that. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast as we continue to press on. Towards the draft, baby. Towards draft. New draft guide comes out on April 11th. Another draft guide will come out on April 18th. Going to get out to 250 players. A lot of exciting stuff here at PFF. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate.